0: Assume that we're just assume that we're ready we
1: are. here we are <laughs> welcome to Freightonomics the post-christmas outlook edition mm. yes the happy me holidays. yeah happy holidays uh airing the week between Kind of the dead zone for activity in the economy between Not Christmas here. and New Year's. Yeah. Uh, but we got a good show today, a special show. Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence, Anthony Smith, chief economist. And we're going to be joined by the rest of the ME squad today. Uh, Mike Bowden, Distal, Henry Byers, getting some intermodal and maritime action in uh, and some outlooks. Today's going to be all about outlooks for 2024, kind of read the market, etc. But first off, have to thank this month's sponsor, Thomson Reuters. Uh, the 2023 Corporate Global Trade Survey Report from Thomson Reuters is here, and you don't want to miss this. Navigate the ever-changing trade environment with insights into hot topics like the skills gap, ESG reporting, ongoing and upcoming industry developments, and more by getting your free copy today. Download now at the link on your screen. Uh, I, and Zach, you mentioned, I, you this gets your seal of approval as well. You, 100%. You've used it. Yeah, no, it's it's your legit. Uh, I got something out of the opening, just the download link, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> which, again, isn't saying much for somebody like me. But anyway, <laughs> well, let's... let's what are you thinking? It kicked I think? off. Yeah, I mean, huge shout out to our sponsors. Thank you mm-hmm. so much, Thompson Reuters, for for making this show possible. And let's get things kicked off with our first market expert that we're going to welcome on for this special holiday edition of Anomics, And that is the one and the only Mike Distal. He is going to be our go-to for all things rail, intermodal, and of course, CPG. Mike, thanks for joining us today.
1: No problem. Good to see you guys. Yeah, and also, people speaking rail. People speaking rail. (laughs) Also uh, another big resource for anything on the financial markets. Yeah, like a lot of people don't realize you worked in the financial space either. Like, it's like, you're you're a jack of a lot. (laughs) And really master uh, of all.
2: <laughs> hopefully on Master release something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get it, let's get it started here, Mike. So give us your read on, you know, what's happened with the intermodal rail side of things. Uh, and and I guess, you know, I, I would also like to know about the CPG space a little bit as well. On what happened this past year that was new or nuanced in, in your mind that was an interesting development?
2: Yeah, so I think there was a lot of things that were an interesting uh, development. Um, And most of this year, there was not enough demand that the carriers would like. They were kind of over-resourced. They had plenty of excess containers and volumes were pretty dismal. A lot of that changed on the intermodal side in the fourth quarter. So fourth quarter to date, I have domestic intermodal up about 5%, international intermodal up about 9%. And when you look at the way inter- intermodal volume, kind of the way that the railroads look at look at it, which is the last four weeks, um, what's happened in the last four weeks? Total intermodal volume up seven and a half percent across international and domestic. So there's definitely been a pickup in uh, demand there. And I think you contribute that to a few things. I think the the main thing is that um, you know the service levels have been strong this year. So kind of a departure from the last couple years. So you know every time I have a, a guess on the people speaking rail or, or talk to them otherwise about um, rail service, you know, I always ask them about sort of, you know, what they're seeing in in, in the field there. And they've been pretty complimentary, including shippers that had been um, pretty down on the rails, um, you know, prior to years, particularly CSX. I hear good things about their service. So that's been uh, kind of the, the, the biggest uh, thing um, in the intermodal side. And then you have all of these uh, different collaborative efforts uh, that that JB Hunt, you know BNSF collaboration, you know bringing quantum back as they they talked about on, on F three potentially a big deal in terms of expanding intermodal to certain um, you know locations where inter- intermodal had not been a big deal like Phoenix and um, and, and Denver Union Pacific also you know is going to open up a, a terminal in in Phoenix on the international side so you're you're seeing. You know, different ways where carriers can expand their volume. You're also seeing more collaboration. And one that I would would, would call out is, is on the north-south uh, side. We're seeing collaboration between JV Hunt, um, BNSF, and Feramex, you know, bringing intermodal volumes north across the border through, through Eagle Pass, Texas. The idea is to take a tra- day off the transit time from Mexico to Chicago. So that seems to be a competitive response to the CPKC merger, uh, which has the potential to increased speed you know northbound so i I think there's more reasons to think of intermodal as again being a growth area within uh domestic um transportation again uh as i'm more you know convinced that intermodal is a growth area again than than i was you know six or or twelve months ago which i think is a good thing i think next year uh intermodal volume likely to be up Um, You know, barring, you know, some service meltdown, polar vortex in Chicago, et cetera, or um, some big retrenchment in the consumer. But I think if we would have seen a big retrenchment in the consumer, we would have seen that already. Not when the stock market's ripping and inflation's coming down. So um, I, I think there'll be enough freight to move. On the um, you know pricing side, it's a little bit um, you know un- unclear. I mean, we've heard anecdotes, you know, directly from companies, you know, rebidding their freight that are saying those shippers are getting price you know rate 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 declines that will bleed into you know next year. So you know some of the anecdotes suggest that we've heard from shippers suggest that intermodal rates will be down um, you know next year, but you know, i heard from an investment fund just yesterday. So they met with a lot of the management teams at the carriers, publicly traded carriers, and they were saying intermodal rates would be flat to up. So a little bit of a, you know, a difference of opinion, you know, there typically when you go through a a fourth quarter, when there wasn't any, you know, major capacity constraints, you know, you, you wouldn't have um, much movement upward in, in, in pricing.
0: Beautiful summary there, Mike. And of course uh, this is Going to be some of our overall outlooks, and I can't let you go real quick before asking you real quick. What do you see on the CPG side? Is there a theme or anything that you're going to be looking for in the upcoming year?
2: So I think the CPGs are um, have held up well. Uh, you know, they really haven't seen a lot of elasticities or, or people cutting back on those things. I mean, maybe just a little bit ar- around the margin, but in terms of um, you know, they they look very closely at how elastic certain products are. For their, their price increases like they have um, the last few, you know, a couple of years when they, they really increased prices a lot, you know, they really haven't seen much volume degradation uh, there. So, you know, for the most part, it's it's just not the first thing that that people cut back on. I do think that they have built more resiliency into their supply chain. So all that discussion earlier about we're one disaster away from everything, you know, being out of stock, I think it has to be a significant. Um, disaster for, for, for that to happen. I, I do think they've done things like diversify their suppliers. They, you know, some of them have used um, more distribution centers than they have, um, you know, sourcing ingredients from more you know countries. So they're not going to run out of things. So I think that this, the CPG companies, which had never had a big um, issues with with delivering those products to the, the retailers before the pandemic, I, I think they're in a little bit better shape and, and they are more resilient than they have been.
1: Well, that I mean, yeah, I I think they definitely feel that way. I do think it's interesting. I mean, Rachel Premax article is a very good read uh, for most people that are interested in that kind of stuff. And of course, Mike, people can check you out on the stockout, you and Grace, and uh, people speaking rail to get your updates. Thank you for uh, for coming out today, man. I know you got places to
0: go.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, no good. problem. Yeah. Always great to see you guys
0: all right uh yeah sage strong i mean i mean Mike coming out firing and we're going to keep that momentum going
1: yeah we are we're going to we're going to bring on uh henry byers next to get his hot takes on the maritime space but henry's been kind of like active in in the economic side too i mean i yeah, think we've all goes together yeah i think all of us here in the space have been and especially at freightways we kind of realize like hey we can't live in a bubble yeah <laughs> like everything's pretty well connected. And Henry's made some pretty significant calls here in the past. And one of the calls that I want to talk about, and I don't know that you're like, again, timing is what really is important in a call. I think a clock is right twice, a broken clock's right twice a day, right? So anybody can make a call, but the timing part of that call is what's I think the most critical. Sure. And you know Henry we were, I think you and I were both aligned here in expecting this third and fourth quarter to be weaker than it's materialized to be from a freight demand aspect and an economic aspect. Uh I was t- I was definitely right there with you. Uh but I'd like to get your take here on what has happened and what are your what your what you've seen here in the second half of 2023. Uh, that makes you think that, hey, are we out of the woods in terms of like a downturn? Or do you still still think that there's a little bit of meat on that bone?
3: I think there's a little bit of meat on that bone. Um, Personally, there's just a lot of economic headwinds that we had mentioned earlier in the year, I think that you're alluding to, um, that still, you know, we've yet to overcome, in my opinion. Um, I think if you were to look at the consumer as a whole, uh, you look at things like um, you know car payments. You're looking at student loan payments. You're looking at you know what's going on with housing. Um, it's really as it expensive as it's been for you know for my generation. We've been in the workforce for what um, around 20 years, and I'm a certainly you know reminiscent of 2008, 2009 uh, already in some regards, just in terms of um, what you're looking at with layoffs and things like that. But I think as far as how expensive things are, I mean, I have to admit. Um, it's been quite surprising, and I think the fact that it hasn't um, deteriorated yet still leaves the question in my mind of, uh, you know, how, how possible is it that we get into Q1, Chinese New Year for container shipping comes and goes. And then, you know, it's a little early this year, so between February and April, um, there's room for significant, you know, drops in volume, depending on what happens.
0: And so, Henry, one of the things I love about getting some information on the ocean side of things is that it's pretty much as upstream as you can get, because, of course, one of the big things that we do here in the U.S. is consume. And then we import a lot of our materials, we import a lot of our goods, whether it be from the industrial side or, or downstream for more of the uh, ready available consumables. But we're looking at things upstream. We're going to be some of the things that you're seeing right now on the ocean side in terms of upcoming activity that we can expect to hit the the roads here in the U.S. and what are going to be some of the expectations you have going into that first quarter?
3: Well, I think there's going to be some significant strength on the West Coast. I think if you look at the Panama Canal, you look at what's going on. Um, I mean, even with the, despite what's going on um, in the Middle East and Suez Canal, I still think there's um, you know going to be a significant shift back in freight to the West Coast. Just look at the inland empire and what's set up out there in terms of the amount of volume they can handle and how quickly they can handle it, and how hungry the rails are now for that volume to return. Um, you know, it, obviously incentivizing that in a way where I think you know most shippers that have the the scope to be able to do that, I think will take advantage of that. So it's one of those things where I think the surface side markets, um, you, you may wonder for a bit. You know, where's this freight going? The rails are super hungry for it, so that's that's the first thing you need to consider. Secondly, um, you know, the inventory that is coming in, I do think that, you know, shippers are starting to play a little bit more of a finer line than I, than I had expected. I'd expected them to, um, you know, really bleed inventories um, as far down as they possibly could. And maybe we're seeing just, you know, that just in case maybe hasn't gone away uh, fully just yet. Um, I think, and in, in, like I say, the Panama Canal um, in just a gradual shift um just in how things have been set up for the last decade or two in terms of container shipping um i I expect some significant strength on the west coast in terms of inbound volumes but again we're just talking about through chinese new year so once we get into late february early march you know it's really going to be it's where the rubber uh, meets the road in terms of you know what we're looking at there
1: yeah i kind of want to hammer down on this a little bit here the uh, you know, you were talking about this shift back to the West Coast on the import side of things before the, you know, the conflict in Gaza and, and Israel was really taking place. And also really before the Panamax was, you know, significantly hindered. This is before like November, uh, because they were still, I mean, clearing, you know, goods through that canal at, at a decent clip before then. But, you know, obviously the winter happened and that closes it down. Do you think like, how much of this, once those things, if those things clear up, I think the drought is obviously a thing that we can consider will will eventually remedy itself. But it's, like, once those things clear up, do you think that we're going to see this West Coast stay resilient with this import volume and keep that share?
3: I think, you know, in terms of the market share, yeah, absolutely. I think short-term, for sure. I mean, if you backtrack to, what, 2014, 2015, when there were, um, you know, nowhere near what there was in 2021, but there was still a significant backlog in ships off the, the West Coast. And so, if you saw, if you think about what happened then, um, you know, a lot of the same types of trends um, occurred at that time in terms of you know more freight getting routed to the East Coast. And sure, you've had some some changes economically with people you know migrating from the West Coast to the East Coast, and uh, just the growing Southeast in general. Uh, and, and what they're able to accommodate as far as volume but nonetheless i, I just think it, i just continue to go back to when things when the market's soft in transit times or um you know uh, normal you see you know the west coast preferred it's the shortest distance right it's the it's the fastest way to get in to the country so if you're looking at you know this just in time and, and really the advent of e-commerce at a scale has, has been happening simultaneously alongside all this so you know, to in order to accommodate that that just in time for e-commerce, I mean, you're looking at a lot of things, a lot of attractive, um, you, know, per, you know, a lot of attractive points in terms of you know why you would be preferring to route to the West Coast, and, and so when that you know the East Coast was getting talked about time and time again as far as this is a new trend, this will last forever, I'm just thinking I'm eh, not so sure because I mean you, you have to consider. Some of the largest players in the country um, are, are, are very, very heavy in terms of you know what they operate in terms of assets out there, uh, and the rails I think are the the foremost thing to think consider. Um, and so, when you're thinking about like railing it across the country, this you know mini land bridge is what the probably referred to it probably 10 years ago. Um, I think that that is a, on, on the the drawing board right now because what you're seeing with West Coast rates um, is they're not they're not having. These, you know, Panamax, um, or excuse me, Panama Canal surcharges at a time. Um, you know, West Coast rates have been really stable. Um, East Coast rates have just ticked up. You know, another five hundred dollars at the beginning of the month. And so, when you think about that as well, you're, you're thinking about the Suez Canal potential disruption. So, the the, the PTSD from shippers um, to get to the East Coast right now, uh, it, in terms of you know, COVID and everything that's happened, you know, Honja bankruptcy. Um, and just just the past in terms of the trade war, et cetera, um, you know they're really making sure they're mitigating risk any way they can. And so all those things considered, I think the West Coast really becomes a, a nice option for a lot of shippers right now.
0: And Henry, as we are looking at to the biggest trends in the upcoming year, we're going to be one of the things that you're going to be watching closely and maybe it's an indicator, maybe it's gonna be some type of an event or, or a shift in a trend, what's gonna be one thing that you're gonna be watching closely where to this say, okay, this is a good sign or okay, maybe pull the brakes back a little bit?
3: I think we have to be aware of the geopolitical risks um, that are at stake. I think um, that's what I'm gonna be watching really closely because I think the, what's happened there alongside the way carriers have mitigated capacity with, with you know, a seemingly new strategy with rejections, um, you know, we have a, a data set that tracks you know the amount of freight they're rejecting and they've gotten pretty savvy here in the last year where as they're cutting capacity with blank sailings which you know the market's really accepted that they have, have done and aren't doing um, and, and have come to, to terms with that they're now choosing to you know simply um, pick and choose over freight uh, that they're loading at origin and that's really created um, a backlog in freight because if you reduce capacity and you reduce the amount that you're willing to load on those boats I mean inevitably you know freight, tends to get built up back at origin and that helps to put that upwards pressure on rates. So um, like Zach was alluding to earlier, I'm really wondering, you know, when is, um, when is the rubber going to meet the road in terms of, you know, what we expected would be a pretty significant decline in import volume. Uh, and that's mostly based on the consumer. So the fed um, I think, you know, at this point is projected to, to cut or continue cutting throughout 2024. Um, but I just don't know if it's going to be at a quick enough rate um, to help consumers who are starting to get in a real bind. So if you look at purchasing power, you look at these inventories, and now that these inventories have um, been bled out in a way where it's more of a just-in-time just, just in time, um, consideration from shippers, I think you're looking at some real potential for some, some significant volume drops. Um, and so the, the rates that we were thinking, you know, from China to the West Coast and East Coast of the U.S. to, to break through their floor they'd established in early April of this year, If you looked at the East Coast rates before the Panama Canal, they were right there at that bottom. So they would have broken through had this, you know, pressure not been put in terms of what um, is able to be loaded on those containers going to the East Coast. And just, you know, any excuse possible, the carriers are going to use that to their advantage. War war risk, you know, there is a a stipulation that they they can charge if there's an increased war risk. I mean, and, and I think most people would see why. Uh, but all things considered, I, I, it's certainly something I'm watching is the strength of the consumer to try to better identify, you know, are rates going to stay relatively stable through the beginning of contract season in early April? Um, or is there some significant room to the downside? And I, if I was a betting man, I, w- I would say that, you know, that they do have some significant room to the downside. I just don't know if if at this point they'll they'll actually break through that floor because the rejections is something entirely new. We've just never seen... Carriers say, "Hey, we're just not going to load your freight if you're not paying enough."
1: Man, uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> we've got, we, we, we've got. Uh, I mean, we got geopolitical risk. I think that's something that we absolutely have to consider from the, the maritime space. I think COVID has created an environment of that's a little bit more divisive. This right. de-risking supply chains is absolutely contributing to some of these increased conflicts. Uh, And I think I think you're making a good point, especially now that the carriers are employing these new strategies around managing their rates or how much they can charge. So, uh, Henry, thank you so much uh, for coming out here today uh, and giving us a heads up. We've got one more market expert here, uh, Ryan Grody, uh, 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 our supply chain expert, has set to, to, to join us here in a second. But I think some of this also is a great segue for him. Uh, And in the way that Henry kind of dials it in, in the way that there's this geopolitical kind of surface level impact that can happen on supply chains that everybody, there's nothing you can do about it. It's almost unpredictable, Um, but you have to be ready for it, (laughs) like it or not. And then there's this underlying consumption economic thing you have to consider. And then in the middle there, there's the carrier you know, behavior component where they're trying to manage their capacity. So I think these are all... Extremely good, uh, you know, things to watch. Did we
0: just lose Ryan? (laughs) Um, But, you know. Ryan's going to be a great talking point for especially on the shipper side. So we're looking at how that interacts with going on on that side because we always talk about what's going on on the freight side. We're always talking about what we're seeing on the carrier side. But when you can offer that type of perspective of what's going on on his realm, on on what the shippers are seeing or what they're dealing with, yeah. I think it's huge because we've seen that pendulum just just swing in the complete other direction. And well, there's so much energy in it that's been injected
1: into our our space, especially economically, supply chain wise. They're they're obviously very connected, right? <laughs> um, and the fact that we are, you know, I was talking with Tony Mulvey before the show about how. There's there's just so much stuff moving around now from our from an economic perspective, so much inefficiency uh, that I, I think is out there that's allowing our economy to kind of stay elevated. Right. You know, Henry was talking about uh, you know in one of his articles about how he was forecasting lower de- lower demand in the second half of the year. I think that you and I agreed with that mm-hmm. for the most part because consumer debt levels were increasing so strongly. Does this still, and we've talked about it several shows, like, are we out of the woods yet in terms of economic like stability? Right. And, and I think I've become a little bit more bullish. I don't want to call it bullish, but I'm still, you know, slightly bearish, um, you know, in 2024, economically speaking, because the debt levels have increased so significantly and the consumer conditions are just not
0: great. Do right. you... you yeah. So Feel one bad. of the things I say always I, is I never bet against the American consumer and <laughs> is that they're going to find a way to spend some way, somehow, whether it's going to be credit cards, whether it's going to be emptying out savings or whether it's going to be the new buy now, pay later yeah. wave that's really hit over the last year and a half or so. And I think when we're looking at that, that, that just unwavering demand, I think that's seen as a sign of strength and a sign of resilience, but I don't know if that's the correct way to look at it or interpret it. And I think it's almost more so of a worrisome trend and a worrisome sign that we're seeing that this there's ongoing consumption. And I think we see it as a good thing because we get things like an, a GDP number in the third quarter that's over 5%. We start to see uh, you know, incredible amounts of service spending. We start to see that there's still demand for certain goods. And so I think there's that positive side that we take away from it. But the negative side is looking a little bit further down the, the, the road here and seeing that there is going to be some you know, a weaker position that a lot of consumers are going to be in if there is a shift on that thing that I think is really holding this whole thing together and that's going to be around the labor market. And if there's a shift in that labor market, that's why I think a lot of this, you know, almost house of cards, if you will, starts to potentially tumble. And I think that's where some of those underpinnings really get tested on, okay, you say that um, household wealth is better than it was before the pandemic on certain reports. Let's see for which demographic that holds true for. Or if you see that, okay, demand is there and that there's this resilience, let's see how much that demand holds up where that interest-free buy now, pay later starts to hit if you miss a payment and now you owe you know, up to 30% on something, or maybe you know you have an Apple Pay, <laughs> now they can control what's going on with your cell phone. So it's so many things that kind of go into that, uh, car notes, things like that. So when I'm looking at what's going on, those are going to be some of my concerns that I think really all comes to a head.
1: Yeah. And and from the shipping perspective, I mean, I think a lot of, you know some of the people that I've talked to lately, they have this ongoing concern. We talked about um, we talked to, to Zach Rogers a, a little bit ago about this. They expect prices to increase next year, right. and that's something that I mean we haven't heard that and in, in for months, <laughs> if not over a year. And that's you know I think that's the thing is when do rates actually get pressure back on them? The supply demand equilibrium, the the shift is starting is already swinging. It's in motion. We can see it moving, but we can't see that precise timing of when that motion clicks, and all of a sudden, carriers have pricing power once again, or service providers have pricing power once again. Uh, You know, my outlook next year and again, now that uh, our buddy uh, JP at the Fed has decided that, hey, we're pretty much done, and we actually are probably going to cut rates, Mm. (laughs) as Henry alluded to, uh, there is, that to me is a signal that, hey, economically, things don't look as good uh, as that nominal GDP figure would would suggest, and that also means that we should probably see a turn in the environment sometime in the next 12 months.
0: Yeah, and let's just go ahead and bring on our next market expert here, and that's gonna be Ryan Grody. We're gonna be going on through the old-fashioned telephone <laughs> here. And, Don't uh, they to tell <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to give us a great perspective of some of the other talking points to really round this whole thing out because we've heard from rail and CPG, what's going on, on the ocean side, mm-hmm. going into some of the trucking aspects, what's happening on the shipper side with those uh, supply chains. But we're, we're looking forward to having Ryan on with us here shortly. Yeah. Ryan. Yeah. Ryan, can you hear us? <laughs> As I saw a oh. picture of them oh, flash I up thought he was quickly. Up. Oh well.
1: <laughs> no, I, I mean I mean the uh the, the idea, idea is, is you know I think everybody's the transportation manager side of things they're waiting on rates yeah. to turn like you've set these contracts we had bid season this year it's it's implementing right now at the tail end of this cycle. I've already seen it with several people like at the tail end of the cycle we are seeing capacity erosion and it's and it's not like it's dramatic it's not right. becoming a thing that's creating, uh, you know, this huge and unstable environment, but those rates aren't capturing the same value that they were at the beginning of the year. And, and I think that, that to me is a sign that we are moving, like things are moving in that direction. And I don't know that we have 12 months left in it. So from a transportation management perspective, if you are setting your rates and your target costs, you need to set up some risk assessment. Mm. This year, last year you could get away with it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like there was, uh, there was almost no, and I guess we're not going to have Ryan, but you know, <laughs> I'll try to, I'll try to talk for him here. But uh, gotta love the internet. So the, uh, you know, the thing is, is I think from my perspective, I can't target costs as a pure motive anymore. When I'm talking to my sweet bosses and people that I'm budgeting for and projecting, I have to say, look, there is a decent chance that by the end of the year. My transportation capacity and service demand needs are going to be misaligned right. with the what the market can can cover, you know, significantly. And from that perspective, I don't want to end up as the low end person. Like I don't want to be that value shipper uh, because that means that's going to end up being a higher cost at the end of the year.
0: And I think one of the things that's going to be important as we look at, of course, the first quarter and going into the really the first half of 2024 is. This expectation, of course, there's the official, okay, recession or no recession, or growth or contraction. I Mm -hmm. think you have to drill down a little bit deeper than that. You can't just have this blanket statement as Mm -hmm. is everything going up or everything coming down. I think you have to drill into each subcategory that you might be operating in, each vertical, because I think there will be certain segments that are going to experience some parts of recession while others show some areas of opportunity at the same time.
1: 100%. I think that's been the big, you know, thing at the end of COVID we've all learned. Yeah. These aggregate figures sometimes don't do a great job (laughs) at measuring granularity. Uh, But, you know, 2023 in the books almost, uh, 2024 looking like at least directionally, we're... I'm concerned. Concerned. <laughs> Not economically out of the woods, but maybe transportation.